This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 3, Episode 27, Mixing Humor with Drama and Horror. 15 minutes long, because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. And I'm Brandon. I'm back. Yay! Yay. <laughs> what Yay. day is it? <laughs> what, what, where am I? Anyway, I'm Brandon. <laughs> I'm Dan. I'm Howard. And mixing humor with drama and horror, um, we actually... Oh, we didn't do the tagline. Oh, we didn't. We, I did the tagline. Yeah, we did the tagline. I, I didn't We've say been that out we're of not practice. that smart. Did you say that we did it 15 minutes long? Anyway, <laughs> back in season one, we um, can of wormed this, uh, this topic, mixing humor with horror, and we threw in drama with it because the concept with this is it's, it's sometimes very hard to blend. When people will try to be dramatic and they've been writing humorously, suddenly all the humor will go away for a while and it will be boring. Or sometimes when people try to mix in a little bit of humor with their drama, they fall completely on their faces and the drama comes off as, as feeling just sticky or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so how do you mix these together? And our resident expert is Howard. I'm the resident expert. Yes, you are. Awesome. Congratulations. Um, I... I start with I start with the drama and I try and figure out what the salient things are the, the salient points that need to be conveyed that are inherently dramatic okay and whether they are character moments or plot moments or or whatever I, I figure out what those points are and uh, and you know what needs to be communicated okay and then I take a couple of steps back because remember what I'm doing is delivering a punchline every day right. I take a couple of steps back and I think okay how do I piggyback a punchline in there. Okay. Sometimes the punchline and the dramatic moment can go hand in hand without the punchline underline, uh, undermining the dramatic moment. Most times I have to put the drama in the middle of a Sunday strip so that I have enough time to be funny again. To be funny again end. without without so undermining it. That's actually fascinating because you say you know, you, you told me before, pun, punchline every day. I'm going to be funny. So your, your guiding light is, I am funny. There and will be a punchline. you build the drama first and then make it funny. Yeah. Which is, is interesting. Well, it, because if the story, if, I, if I'm just moving from joke to joke, yeah. uh, I get bored. Okay. I want to tell a fun story. And if right. that story has big dramatic moments and big reveals, I don't want to spoil those big reveals by slapping a punchline right. on them and turning them into a pun. Well, and I've said many times before, I'm not sure if I said it on the podcast or not, but for me, humor will make me enjoy my experience when I'm reading a given comic or book or whatever, mm -hmm. but when I put it down, the drama and the character are what's gonna make me pick it back up again. And this is the problem I've had with many of the humorists who are outrageously funny when I read their books. Um, as, as much as I like him, Douglas Adams is an example. I never wanna pick up a Douglas Adams book. When I'm reading it, I'm always enjoying it. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a problem with the, with the drama and the character. Yeah, I, I agree. And that's something that I will be able to notice in my own work. Um, the infamous vampire bunny thing that we talk about all the time on this podcast. Uh, the early drafts of that, the reason I could tell they weren't working is because if somebody read it straight through, they loved it. Yeah. Whereas if something came up and they had to stop, they would never go back to it. Right. Because the character was not strong enough and the drama was not strong enough to bring them back. Exactly like you're saying. And so that's always a sign for me. Oh, will someone pick this up again? Because that's what draws them back into it. Now, Dan, you are writing horror. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and horror is infamous for mixing lots of humor in. Yeah. Um, why, how, and how do you do it? I think one of the reasons for that, at least for me, is that uh, the reason horror works, you know, when it works, the reason it works is because the characters are strong. Because you cannot feel scared reading about someone unless you really identify with them. The characters are what make it work. That's also, for a large part, what makes a lot of, of, uh, of humor work. And so okay. combining them goes very naturally together. Uh, that happens to work out well because you can then use humor to uh, deflate tension when you need to. Um, because, you know, that's why a lot of So you are using it to deflate it. tension. That's o- occasionally. Purpose. You can't overuse it because then you're, you're not <coughs> scary. Mm-hmm. Um, I use I it because I think it's interesting <laughs> and because I want to be funny. But there are times when I know that it's wrong. Um, in the book that I just finished... I had a conversation going with several characters in a car and it was really funny and I thought at the end, you know, this just doesn't work because mm-hmm. this can't be funny. It's nice, but it's releasing too much tension okay. and it's supposed to be tense and it's supposed to be scary. And by the end of the scene, we've been laughing the whole time and it just didn't work and I had to go back and excise a lot of that humor from it. All right, so that's a, that's a balance issue, which mm-hmm. I suppose is part of this, is knowing where to put the balancing factor and how much of each. Um, one thing I, I've noticed is thinking about this topic is when we say humor, the pro- one of the problems with this is humor is so widely diverse. Mm-hmm. What is humor and what types of humor? And I, I've written the Alcatraz books, which are one of the main focuses of them is to be funny. But there is also humor in my epic fantasies, and it's a very different type of humor. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the difference in, um, I, I got in a big discussion with my editor once about this regarding the book Warbreaker, in which I wa- really wanted to work on the humor. I wanted to have a very humorous story, but which was dramatic, very dramatic. Well, you had a character in that story yeah. who was jokey. Yeah. He refused to take things seriously. Right. And was, he was almost a prankster. Yeah. And... I, I was trying to channel Oscar Wilde um, and, and, and stuff him into that character. And the argument with my editor that I had was he felt that the humor in places was, um, was pulling readers, potential pull readers out of the story. Mm-hmm. Um, and when we, we got that across and I realized what he was saying, you know, in, in a book like this, I can't break the fourth wall. Um, certainly. Right. I'm never going to break the fourth wall, but there are like nudging against the fourth wall. And the fourth wall is, of course, addressing the reader. But if I, ha- if I made a character make a joke that um, the reader had to stop and think, would they actually be able to make that joke in this world? Um, an exa- excellent example is the, um, in the Mistborn books, there is a time where Ellen is talking about all the people that Vin has killed, and she, he names off three of them and says that's kind of like a homicidal hat trick. Um, this term um, I hat researched... Trick. And found out it was an ancient term. It's been around for years and years and years. It was long, long before hockey it was used, but it's pulled so many readers out because they say that's a hockey term. That just mm. jumped me, pushed me out of the story. I can't do that. In the Alcatraz books, I can. Howard, you can. I can get away with that, and I, I do get away with that all the time. Now, I am careful. There are times when I am crafting a metaphor, and I, I've got a metaphor that makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, metaphor is... I use those all the time right. as punchlines um, or as setups for punchlines. Um, but then I will go back and look at it again and say, okay, now, now let's really look at this. Would that term, um, you know, straight from the horse's mouth, I, right. I don't know that I've used that, but would they really say horses a thousand years from now? 
what would they use instead of horses? Right. You know, and, and you can draw humor from that. And mm -hmm. I can draw humor from extending the metaphor into the future. And that is one of the reasons why, you know, people will, will write to me and say, oh, I love how your stuff is just, it's hard science fiction. That's not hard science fiction. It's just, I, I made a joke that felt real in the context of right. <laughs> our future. Well, and one of the things you do that I, that, that I really enjoy is whenever something shows up that feels like a pop culture reference, I always know there's going to be a footnote down below explaining how that fits seamlessly into the world after however many thousand years of development. Yeah. Um, all right, we're going to break for an advertisement. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we're actually going to uh, do something interesting this time. We're doing another Audible advertisement who's been wonderful in sponsoring the podcast. This week we want to choose the book Hero with a Thousand Faces. Joseph Campbell, it's a foundational book. Um, dealing with archetypes, and a lot of fantasy writers like to use this book kind of as a, I don't know, guidebook almost for writing the hero's journey. Mm -hmm. um, it was very influential in Lucas doing the, um, the Star Wars films. Um, I have a lot of stuff to say on it um, because I'm not sure how it should be used or if people use it the right way, but it is a very useful book to read. And so we are actually going to do a podcast in about six weeks or so in which we deal with Hero with a Thousand Faces. And so... The advertisement this time is for the audio version of Heroes, Hero with a Thousand Faces. Go give it a download, listen to it, um, use Audible's free promo to, um, to get a free copy, and then in six weeks we will talk about it and do a podcast focused on it as writers, how it can help you. I've got to tell you, I listened to that book and uh, <laughs> it, it blew my mind. It, it absolutely blew my mind. So, so Hero with a Thousand Faces, Joseph Campbell. All right, uh, back into it. Let's get to the balance issue. Um, how do you know, I think this is one of the things people ask a lot about is, how do you know when to put in the humor and when it's too much? Um, I, it, when, it, when it doesn't work, you know? When it's, I, <laughs> that, that's real helpful, thanks. I, I know, thanks, it's hard. I, yeah. I, I read it and I realize um, this, the, the drama, I, I, sucked, I sucked all the wind out of the sails, you know, mm -hmm. it's not, it's not sailing. I think of uh, a, a good example and a bad example in media that we're, we might all be familiar with. Um, good example, uh, season two, season three of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay. Were, you know, wonderful blends of humor, yeah. humor and drama. Joss Wheaton is very good at that. Bad example, season seven of Buffy okay. the Vampire Slayer, which was uh, too dramatic and was, was a real downer. It, yeah, well, it, it was real down. Another good example, Frighteners, 
by uh, from Peter Jackson. Okay. I loved the Frighteners because thirty minutes into the film, I thought, oh, this is kind of like a this is kind of like a realistic sort of Ghostbusters. You know, this is it's neat, it's kind of campy, it's fun. Um, and then about ninety minutes into the film, I remember turning to Sandra and saying. All the funny went away. I'm scared, but I was still very happy to be in the theater. Okay. And I, it, the setups, the setups were perfect, and the humor backed away in time for us to be terrified. And then there, there were some okay. laughs there. At the so, end, what was but, the difference? How do our listeners actually do this? Um, I think, and, and I've talked about character before, but really hit character really hard. Okay. And so the, the example I'm going to use here is actually a song, um, Neil Gaiman's I Google You. Um, you can go out and find it on YouTube, uh, sung by Amanda Palmer in various different settings. And it is a brilliant combination of humor and drama. Mm -hmm. And the first half of it is very funny. I mean, just the title itself is already yeah. funny. And it's about a person who, you know, looks up the object of his or her affections online to see what you know, what you can find about them. And then halfway through the song, because it is staying true to the character, you realize that that's actually a really sad kind of pathetic thing to mm -hmm. do with your time. And he just follows that character and stays true to it past the point where it kind of stops being funny and starts being really sad. Okay. And it works really well because he stays very true to the character. So the idea is to not use your humor to undermine character. Absolutely. Stay away never from undermine, un never undermine. See, the but characters. that's a really big temptation, I think, for readers because it's an easy joke mm -hmm. um, for writers. It's an easy way to, you know, to, to slap down or make a character break out of their character for a moment to get the joke across. Mm -hmm. um, and I think these are things. So don't break character just to get a joke. Yeah. The, the yeah, scene if you've from got my a book. Good joke. Sorry. If you've got Go a ahead. really good joke to tell. Um, play on words or yeah. whatever that you just think is is really funny you want to one of your characters say it figure out which character it fits with and make sure that that character has a reason to be in the scene and to say it okay don't just give it to the next character who needs a line right okay um because your readers if you've been good at character characterization at this yeah. point your readers will see through that and it'll knock them out of the story um, and don't don't use humor also to undermine a character objective. Um, if they're, if a, a good example of this, uh, I watched Doctor Horrible for the first time last week. Um, it was fantastic, and it is tragic comedy. Mm -hmm. um, and it it through the entire thing, I identified very much with the character, and he never broke out of his character despite breaking into song and singing ridiculous silly things. Um, and what he was doing was none of the jokes were actually undermining the character's motivations and objectives. Um, not, and, and I guess that's the same thing as not breaking out a character, but I think take well, extra care. he never care. broke out a character, and yeah. they never broke the rules of the form. Yeah. One of the rules for musical theater is that you don't ask the question, why are we all singing? Right. Right, there you go. Now, the one time I've seen that rule broken was Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the musical episode, right. in which... Asking that question was the plot, right. and so it was okay. Right, right. Um, I would say the other big thing to keep in mind is to, to understand the different types of humor. Having characters laugh widely about their situation because they're all about to die is very different from having characters laugh at their situation and try to, you know, try to make a silly joke at the wrong moment. Um, and different types of humor can be appropriate in different times and can work. Some work better with your drama, yeah. some work better with your horror. And I find that if a character is joking about something and you as the writer look at it and realize, you know, 
That's the sort of joke that would make everybody uncomfortable. I don't know that I should tell it. If it was in character for that character to tell that joke, let them tell it and have somebody else call them on it. Okay. Mm -hmm. Hang on. Oh, I got to do that uh, several times in the, the three John Cleaver books. He is such a dark person. He has such a dark sense of humor that, you know, he would frequently say things that the other characters just didn't think were funny at all. And even though the reader usually would laugh and then go, oh, yeah. That other guy's right. I shouldn't have laughed at that. And that's a great reaction to get and, and actually helped advance the humor and the horror aspect of the book. I laughed twice because you made me <laughs> laugh and then you made me scowl at me for laughing. And then I laughed again because you made me scowl. Well, perfect. All right, Howard, we're going to make you do the uh, writing prompt because you're the expert on this. Okay. <laughs> um, take, the, take the most intense character tragedy you can imagine for a character that you've already got and find humor in it for another character to point out whether or not it's appropriate find humor in that tragedy all right this has been writing excuses if you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine archive and resource for science fiction, fantasy and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like, do you want to do a one-on-one -on -one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. Locus. 